From send them back to keep them here, the lead starts right now. Under pressure from President Trump, Israel has now banned Congresswomen Omar and Tlaib from entering that country as President Trump continues his smear campaign against the two minority lawmakers. Bragging and blaming President Trump today, insisting that the economy is still going strong as he also tries to pin the market plunge on the Fed. Does the president see his best argument for re-election possibly at risk now? Plus, exit strategy. Another 2020 Democrat drops out of the race, but it might not be the last time President Trump hears from him. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper and our world lead, an unprecedented decision by Israel after an unprecedented and norm-busting message from President Trump. Israel announced today it is blocking two sitting duly elected members of the U.S. House of Representatives from entering that country. The announcement came less than an hour after President Trump tweeted, quote, it would show great weakness if Israel allowed Representative Omar and Representative Talib to visit. They hate Israel and all Jewish people, and there is nothing that can be said or done to change their minds. Minnesota and Michigan will have a hard time putting them back in office. They are a disgrace, unquote. Congresswoman Omar and Tlaib have called for the economic boycott of Israel because of its treatment of the Palestinians. They, of course, strongly dispute the president's characterization of their views on Jews. Either way, we know of no time in this nation's history when an American president urged a foreign country to ban American lawmakers from entry. The move by Israel has been criticized by even staunch Israel-supporting organizations such as AIPAC and the Simone Wiesenthal Center. Said Republican Senator Marco Rubio, who opposes Omar and Tlaib on the economic boycott of Israel, quote, denying them entry into Israel is a mistake. Congresswoman Omar issued a statement this afternoon saying, quote, as a member of the House Committee on Foreign Affairs, it is my job to conduct oversight of foreign aid from the U.S. of and to legislate on human rights practices around the world. And Congresswoman Tlaib tweeted a picture of her grandmother, who lives in the Palestinian territory, saying, quote, the decision by Israel to bar her granddaughter, a U.S. congresswoman, is a sign of weakness because the truth of what is happening to Palestinians is frightening, unquote. The prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, is in a tough re-election fight and hoping for help from President Trump in these closing weeks of the campaign, issued a statement noting that Israeli law currently prohibits the entry of those who support the boycott of the Jewish state. Israel, of course, knew Omar and Tlaib supported the boycott when they said weeks ago they could visit. But as CNN's Oren Lieberman reports from Jerusalem, today Israel's government changed its mind. An unprecedented step to punish President Donald Trump's political enemies. Israel today barring two Democratic congresswomen and outspoken Trump critics from visiting just minutes after the president tweeted, Israel would be showing great weakness by allowing Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar to enter the country, later adding they hate Israel. After the announcement, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu issued a statement saying, no country in the world respects America and the American Congress more than the state of Israel, adding Israel's law prohibits the entry of people who call and operate to boycott Israel. The yeas are 398. The nays are 17. Netanyahu referencing a bill Talib and Omar supported, which overwhelmingly failed to pass the House weeks ago, which supported the right to boycott, though the resolution itself didn't specifically mention Israel. I can't stand by and watch this attack on our freedom of speech and the right to boycott the racist policies of the government and the state of Israel. 
Even so, Israel's ambassador to the U.S., Ron Dermer, one of those closest to Netanyahu, said last month the two would be allowed entry because of Israel's respect for the American Congress. Not anymore. For her part, Omar, who, along with Talib, are the first two Muslim women in Congress, today responded, saying, Trump's Muslim ban is what Israel is implementing, this time against two duly elected members of Congress. Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the the Democratic freshmen are also two of the most outspoken critics of Trump, calling for his impeachment, leading Trump repeatedly to accuse them of being anti-Israel and anti-Semitic. Oh, I forgot. She doesn't like Israel. I forgot. And launching racist attacks against the two, including telling them to go back to where they came from, even though both are American citizens. This Talib, Talib, she's vicious. She's like a crazed lunatic. She's screaming. I'm looking at this Omar from Minnesota. And if one half of the things they're saying about her are true, she shouldn't even be in office. In recent days, there has been a bipartisan uh, delegation of some 70 Democrats and Republicans here visiting officials in Israel and the Palestinian territories. Congresswoman Talib and Omar decided not to go on that trip because it was organized by pro-Israel American lobby AIPAC. Jake, interestingly, AIPAC has done what it rarely does. It has split with Trump and Netanyahu, saying even if Talib and Omar are critical of Israel, support a boycott of Israel, they should have been allowed in to experience Israel firsthand. All right, Oren Lieberman in Jerusalem, thank you so much. Let's bring in uh, my political experts here. Uh, and let me start uh, with you, uh, Mayor Gillum. Um, this is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this, an American president telling a foreign country, in this case, a, a close U.S. ally, to not admit lawmakers uh, into their country when they were perfectly ready to admit them. The Israeli ambassador, Ron Dermer, had said that they would honor the fact that they were members of Congress and let them in. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is one of those rare, just sort of dumbfounding uh, uh, instances. You see uh, J Street and also APAC are in alignment and agreement. And I believe uh, most of the political, you know, sort of apparatus in this country, with the exception of Donald Trump, uh, agree. Uh, the, the two congresswomen, whether you disagree with them or agree with their positions here, uh, they are the appropriators in our system of government. The Congress uh, are the ones who appropriate U.S. taxpayer dollars. Um, they have every right, every responsibility, uh, certainly to travel to uh, a country uh, that receives uh, over $2 billion in federal uh, aid from the United States. Um, they are a close ally, Israel. Uh, we obviously value that relationship. Um, but I'm really, really disappointed to see uh, the Netanyahu uh, administration uh, side with Donald Trump, who we all know is known for telecasting uh, to foreign governments what he wants to happen. He did it with Russia. Uh, it appears that he did it in this case with uh, Netanyahu giving his full-throated mm -hmm. approval here. Uh, I think it's a mistake, and I think it will damage uh, uh, the, the, the relationship here. Congresswoman Love, what do you think? Well, I think it's unfortunate also. I had an opportunity to go with a delegation to Israel, and as much as I love the Israeli people, I fell in love with them even more. Uh, you find out about the relationship, you know exactly what that foreign aid is going to and how much the United States benefits 
from that partnership, from that great relationship between the Israeli government and the United States government. And um, I also met with the Palestinian government, to be to be quite frank with you. And you get a holistic picture of what's going on. So not to the fact that they actually turned it down to begin with was, I think, unfortunate. And again, this is something else that um, being banned from the country is unfortunate. But you have to there are consequences to to what you say and what you do. And one of the things that really was disturbing was to watch Representative Tlaib on the floor right before the resolution opposing what BDS was doing. She was actually comparing the uh, uh, boycott divestment um, sanctions to boycotting Nazi Germany. Those things are very hurtful and they could be very harmful to a country where you really should watch your language when you're trying to make sure that you have a good relationship. Well, uh, Kevin Mandel, let me bring you in because the BDS movement that's boycott, divest, sanction, it's a movement to, to boycott Israel. Um, some people say it's a, it's a movement. Some, some of the members say to, to boycott Israel until Israel no longer exists. Other people say it's uh, focused on how, the, how Israel treats the Palestinians. Um, some people say this is uh, President Trump and Israel uh, punishing people for what they believe as opposed to specific actions. What, what do you think? Well, I think the, the, the critics of BDS have, a, have a, a very substantive argument. And I think what's happened here with this particular episode is that what the U.S. and Israel have done is it's sort of counterproductive to our ideals. The United States and Israel have always been bastions of a liberal democracy, uh, showcasing freedom of expression, uh, showcasing entrepreneurial economies, uh, engaging with opponents in a civil manner. And so when you have um, the president of the United States and the prime minister of Israel uh, essentially shut down critics rather than engage them and use a trip like this to showcase what everything that's great about America, great about uh, Israel, uh, I think it's a huge missed opportunity. And um, it's probably one of the better ways to actually engage critics. Instead, what this does is give those critics a platform and in many ways sometimes legitimizes the criticisms um, that they've made mm-hmm. against, uh, against Israel. And Kirsten, uh, the former U.S. ambassador to Israel under President Obama, Daniel Shapiro, uh, wrote for The Atlantic, quote, Trump's racism and Netanyahu's dependency have brought us to this point. What a bulldozer to drive through the bipartisan consensus on Israel. What a gift to the BDS movement, which until now most Americans had never heard of. What a self-own. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think that they, you know, are over the Netanyahu government is over aligning itself with Trump and not considering that the relationship is, in fact, with the United States. It's a relationship, longstanding relationship, mutually beneficial relationship between Israel and the United States that's not specific to one political party. And so to basically be doing the bidding of, of Donald Trump, who is using Israel basically, you know, as part of his uh, desire to divide, you know, our country and to, to use these congresswomen as sort of his punching bag, which is something that he's he's decided to make them sort of, you know, political enemy number one. And I think that, you know, as Kevin said, a liberal democracy should welcome dissent and they should be able to handle people who disagree with them and 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 not, you know, and, and Israel was willing to allow them into the country, but they shouldn't be um, kowtowing to Trump on something like this. Everyone stick around. We have much more to talk about. When he lands in New Hampshire, President Trump will be greeted by his former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, who was just subpoenaed by Democrats in Congress. How the White House is planning to address that, that's next. 
We're back with our politics lead. President Trump's former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, was subpoenaed today by the House Judiciary Committee to testify publicly about possible obstruction of justice by President Trump, as detailed in the Mueller report. This just the latest move from House Democrats and what Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler has said are formal impeachment proceedings. Lewandowski is expected to attend President Trump's re-election rally tonight in New Hampshire amid speculation that he will launch a run for Senate there, challenging Democratic incumbent Gene Shaheen. The president has voiced support for a Senator Lewandowski, though the Republican establishment in the Granite State is less enthusiastic, let's say. Let's get right to CNN's Caitlin Collins near where the president has been vacationing in New Jersey. Caitlin, how is the White House reacting to the subpoena? Well, Jake, they were expecting this. So behind the scenes, they've been having what I'm told are these preliminary discussions about potentially trying to invoke executive privilege to limit Corey Lewandowski from complying with this congressional subpoena. Now, we've seen the White House take this route before with former aides like Don McGahn, Hope Hicks, McGahn's deputy, Andy Donaldson. But this would be the White House trying to do so for someone who has never worked in the White House or held any title in the administration. Now, you might wonder, what does what do Democrats want to hear about from Corey Lewandowski? But you'll recall he had that conversation with the president where the president directed him to send a message to attorney, then Attorney General Jeff Sessions about reining in the special counsel's investigation, something that in the Mueller report they said that Corey Lewandowski never followed through on. But, of course, this, these discussions are going on, and while no final decision has been made, it does show you just how the White House is trying to really test the boundaries here and whether or not they can get people who have never even worked in the White House to not have to answer questions about sensitive matters related to the Russia investigation. Yeah, executive privilege usually just for people in the executive branch. Uh, Caitlin, one of President Trump's yep. key arguments for re-election, of course, is the economy, which has been doing well. He certainly seems anxious about all the recent turbulence. Yeah, you might have picked up on that from all of the president's tweets. And we're told behind the scenes there is a growing sense of anxiety and unease in the White House about how the economy is doing and whether or not it's staying stable. Because, of course, aides inside the White House and in the president's reelection campaign say that they believe that is key to keeping the White House. President Trump taking a break from his summer vacation for a campaign rally in New Hampshire tonight. As fears grow inside the White House that the instability of the economy could threaten his reelection. The economy is phenomenal right now. We had a couple of bad days. One day after the Dow Jones suffered its worst trading session of the year, Trump attempted to ease fears, tweeting that the U.S. economy is the strongest and most powerful in the world. The Dow dropped 800 points Wednesday on new recession fears prompted in part by Trump's trade wars. But today, Trump relied on an old tactic, blaming the media, claiming they are doing everything they can to crash the economy because they think it will be bad for me and my re-election. Sources say the president has kept a close watch on the warning signs he's seeing in the markets, leading him to announce this week that he would delay some additional tariffs he's threatened on Chinese imports. Officials say he's frustrated by a total lack of progress on a Chinese trade deal he thought would be sealed months ago. It should have been done by long before I came along, but I'm the one that gets uh, I'm the one that gets stuck with it. And even though Trump insists farmers are on his side of the trade war, some of them are telling CNN this damage is self-inflicted by the president. Words and Twitters and tweets. That doesn't, that doesn't pay the farmers' bills. That doesn't solve the problem we're dealing with. 
Now, Jake, the numbers show that one of the main reasons voters approve of President Trump's job in office is because of the economy. So he can't really afford for it to go south before his reelection. And we're being told by sources that the president is expected to defend his handling of the economy during that rally in New Hampshire tonight. All right. Most voters disapprove of the president's handling of his job, but they do approve of, of the economy. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Uh, let's bring our political experts back. Kevin Madden, let me start with you. Has the president made a mistake here in bragging too much about the economy if he's if he holds himself up as completely responsible for the good news then doesn't he also have to take responsibility for the for the bad news even if he's trying to blame it on us in the well, media. Yeah, well, it's not a mistake. I mean, as president, that's your job is to be the cheerleader for the economy, to express optimism in the economy. Um, but but as much as presidents get the credit, they also get the blame. Uh, and they, the White House has to be very cognizant of that heading into this uh, the, to this reelection. And I think one of the big problems that they're going to continue to have is that the American public is very straightforward when they're judging the economy. Uh, they look at whether their rate wages are rising, how their 401k is doing. Does, do they have a job? Does their neighbor have a job? They do not look to debate the intricacies of, of monetary policy and who's the chairman of the Fed. And they don't blame the media. Uh, they do blame the person who is in charge. And the buck stops uh, with the president. Uh, and so that is something that this White House, as they plan their reelection, they have to be very cognizant. of. The last thing I'd say, too, is they have to be cognizant of the trend lines. Um, the trend lines, it takes six months for people's opinion about the economy to change. If the trend lines continue in a current direction where we start to see some recessionary fears, we start to see inflation, it's going to hit at just the wrong time for them, uh, given the 2020 cycle. And, and uh, Congresswoman Love, let me ask you, I mean, normally a, a president, I would think, with uh, the global recession kind of encroaching on the United States, you have whatever the Fed's doing, uh, might be trying to work with Congress to get some stimulus uh, into the American economy, whether an infrastructure bill or, or something. But I don't see a whole lot of evidence that there's any planning going on other than mean tweets. And unfortunately, this is the thing that uh, everyone who is supportive of the president has been talking about. They wish to to stay away from the Twitter wars, to stay away from attacking other members of Congress in the areas that they live in and to talk about the economy. And and you're absolutely right. You can't blame the media. That's one of the things that the American people are very they're very savvy. They don't sit there and listen to everything that the media says. They can check their pockets. They can see what uh prices and wages going up. They can check the unemployment rates. They can look at what's happening, whether their lives are better or not. And they tend to make those decisions on their own. And the president would have been just better off talking about the economy. And yes, there are times where you're going to get a little bit of a dip. There are times where there are things that are going to come in that are going to mess mess with the with your game plan a little bit. But he should just stick with what's right for the economy, how he's helping the American people. And the worst thing that the president can do is blame somebody else or continue to stay on Twitter attacking fellow Americans and attacking members of Congress in the places that they come from. Uh, Kirsten, let me bring you in. I want you I to take a listen I, I, to, to uh, I'll come to you in one second. Uh, Kirsten, take yeah, a listen no to Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross today on CNBC explaining uh, why the administration delayed these tariffs on China. And nobody wants to take any chance of disrupting the Christmas season. So, Kirsten, we have there Ross admitting that tariffs, tariffs impact the American people. Yeah. And now the Trump administration wants credit for both 
not imposing those tariffs and for imposing tariffs and saying that none of it affects the American people except for the ones that they're not imposing on China because those would have, I mean, none of it makes any sense. Yeah, well, I mean, I think even in the Republican Party, most people uh, don't support what President Trump is doing, whether they're willing to say it publicly, that they recognize that that this this you know trade war that he's engaging in is harmful to the economy and it's certainly harmful to to people who have voted for him and i think that um, I, I do think, and I've said this before, that the claims about how well the economy ha- is doing coming from Donald Trump and his supporters have been overstated. Uh, and there have been a lot of people saying that, look, there, you know, we could have a, a, a slowdown coming. Things have definitely gotten better you know, over the past many years. There's been a good trajectory, but the, it's still a fundamentally not a strong economy. I wouldn't call it booming by any stretch of the imagination, except for people at the very top. Uh, Mayor Gillen? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, the, the, the president has uh, has really run out of luck here. He, he's run around for the past two or so years claiming how great he is for the economy, uh, never, ever recognizing and acknowledging the fact that when Barack Obama came into office, he, along with Congress and the Fed, they had to uh, go through all Herculean tasks in order to put this economy back on track and to arrest us from uh, 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 the, the real depths of it. Um, This president came in and got to benefit from, uh, frankly, decisions that were made prior to him ever coming into office. And now that his public policy is beginning to take uh, impact, is beginning to take a real impact on people's wallets, uh, he now wants to blame somebody else uh, for what he's done. He's the one that's begun to begin a trade war. Uh, He's the one uh, who is responsible for uh, the, the tax giveaway to the wealthiest 1% of people in this country. And the statement was made earlier that people will measure this by their own lived experiences, right? And so in my state, a state like Florida, uh, where 40% of the folks here are saying that they can't even make ends meet at the end of the month, if that happens to get worse, uh, this president has to be worried about what his trajectory uh, back to the White House looks like, especially if a state like Florida falls out of his grips. All right, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. One resident said it was like a war zone after a standoff and shootout that left six police officers shot. Thankfully, they all survived. One presidential candidate is going to weigh in with her plan to curb gun violence like what we saw in Philadelphia. That's next. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, moments ago, we learned the man accused of shooting six Philadelphia police officers, wounding them, likely used an AR-15 rifle and also had a handgun in his possession. That, as Philadelphia's mayor renews his call today for new gun laws in the wake of that seven-hour standoff. Our officers need help. They need help keeping these weapons out of the hands of the bad guys. No one should have access to the kind of weaponry, weaponry and firepower that we saw in North Philadelphia last, yesterday. Maurice Hill surrendered last night and has a long rap sheet, including multiple charges of illegal gun possession. I want to bring in Democratic presidential candidate Senator Amy Klobuchar campaigning in Little Rock, Arkansas uh, today. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. I know you just talked about guns in your in your uh, in a speech there. I want to ask you, the U.S. attorney of the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, which is in Philly, pointed blame today at the city's district attorney, a a crusading uh, progressive who's been really trying to make Uh, criminal justice reform, a big part of of his reign there in Philadelphia. Larry Krasner, take a listen to the U.S. attorney. We have plenty of criminal laws in this city, but what we don't have is robust law enforcement. We have diversionary programs 
for serious gun offenses. We have the routine downgrading of charges for violent crime. And we have entire sections of the criminal code that are ignored. Now, I, we're still learning all the details of what happened in Philadelphia, so you don't need to weigh in on that. But I do want to ask you, as a former prosecutor, what is the way to stop the kind of gun crime they had in Philadelphia? Here you have somebody who cannot legally buy a weapon. He would have been flagged, but he's able to buy them illegally. Well, the first thing is just not to point fingers and blame. Um, and I'd say that uh, we've tried to come together uh, across the aisle on criminal justice reform. I think that's a good thing. But one thing we know for certain, and I'm here in Arkansas, where we had a major event on gun safety laws with a number of leaders here, including a legislator from a very red district who had beaten a Republican in part on this issue, um, talking about the fact that there are too many guns in the wrong hands. And common sense gun legislation would be universal background checks, something that unites rural and urban voters. That is true. Over 90 percent of Americans want to see those done. They're sitting on Mitch McConnell's doorstep, that bill. Waiting periods that make sense so that law enforcement can ferret out um, if people have uh, bad, bad records. And then you've got uh, my mm -hmm. bill on closing the boyfriend loophole, which basically says right now the law says if you've been convicted of a serious domestic abuse charge, uh, then you can't go get an AK-47 if it's your wife. But if you're convicted of one involving a girlfriend, you can. That is just so, ridiculous. And that's why a number of Republicans voted to close that in the House again on Mitch McConnell's doorstep. Well, let me ask you, if you are president in, in 2021, it is still likely that Mitch McConnell will be the majority leader. And if he is not, Republicans will still be able to, in all likelihood, uh, use the filibuster to keep gun legislation like what you're proposing from even being voted on. So how do you get through that barrier? First of all, I don't concede any of that, Jake, because what I've seen is a sea change on this issue, the economic issues you were just talking about. Uh, people have had it out there. And when someone can gun down and kill nine people in 30 seconds, despite the best efforts of the police who got there in one minute, which was unheard of, they were there on the scene and got rid of this guy in a minute. But in 30 seconds, he still killed nine people because of the high capacity magazines and the capacity of that military style assault weapon. When you've got the Republican congressman from that district now coming out to ban those weapons and to, to get rid of those kinds of magazines for sale to the public, I think you've got a sea change. And so I don't concede uh, that we're not going to take back the Senate, especially if they keep resisting all these common sense measures that the vast majority of American people um, support. And whether you're in a duck blind in Arkansas or you're in Minnesota, uh, like my uncle in his deer stand, when you look at these, people are starting to talk about this in a different way and see that this will not interfere with hunting, but it will save Americans' lives. We are one America, whether we're in Philadelphia with those mm -hmm. police officers who are so brave or whether we are in rural Arkansas. Israel today followed President Trump's suggestion and, uh, suggestion and banned a visit by Congresswoman Ilhan Omar from, from your home state of Minnesota, as well as Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. Uh, what was your reaction to that? I was actually pretty stunned. Um, and the fact that uh, the prime minister did this right after a tweet from the president. I'm a strong supporter for Israel. I believe that they are a beacon of democracy. 
in the Mideast. But you know what a democracy, a great democracy should do? A great democracy allows for vociferous debate on issues. That is true. But they don't shut out American elected congresswomen from visiting. And that's what they did. And the president, in precipitating this uh, with his tweet, again, conducting foreign policy by tweet, uh, which will end when I'm president, um, is just the worst. He is literally exporting intolerance. And I'm glad that the major Jewish organizations have come out against this and says, well, they don't agree uh, with the words, as I do not either, of these congresswomen on this subject. You don't ban them from visiting Israel. That makes you weaker, not stronger. Senator Amy Klobuchar, running for president, Democrat from Minnesota. Thank you so much. Good luck out there on the campaign trail. Have fun. Thanks, Jake. It's great to be on. Changes are afoot in the race for president. One candidate is returning to the campaign trail, while another one is getting out of the race for good. Who am I talking about? Stay with us. And we're back with our 2020 lead in the crowd of Democratic presidential hopefuls shrinking today as former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper dropped out of the race. Hickenlooper says... He's now considering a race for the U.S. Senate. The Democratic establishment in D.C. is hoping former Congressman Beto O'Rourke will make a similar move. But as CNN's Leila Santiago now reports, O'Rourke dismissed calls to run for Senate in Texas today. If at this moment we do not wake up to this threat, then we as a country will die in our sleep. That threat, according to former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, is President Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the greatest threat to our ability to make progress on anything that we care about. O'Rourke is now going after Trump full force, blaming the president's rhetoric in part for the mass shooting that left 22 people dead in his hometown of El Paso. We saw the realization of of his rhetoric, of his invitation to violence in our community, but it's not just in El Paso. Also to blame, he says, guns. Returning to the campaign trail after a 12-day break to mourn with his community, he's now calling for more gun control, including a mandatory buyback of assault weapons. I know that this is not politically easy. It's, It's frankly why far too few people have proposed it. It's frankly why I have not proposed it in the past. And there's something else he's insisting. There have even been some who've suggested that I stay in Texas and run for Senate. But that would not be good enough for this community. As O'Rourke resumes his run, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper is dropping his presidential bid. Today, I'm ending my campaign for president. Announcing his candidacy in March, the former Colorado governor struggled to gain support. He didn't offer specifics today about his future plans, but left open the possibility of a run for the U.S. Senate against Republican incumbent Cory Gardner, who Democrats see as vulnerable. I've heard from so many Coloradans who want me to run for the United States Senate. I intend to give that some serious thought. And back to Congressman O'Rourke, former Congressman O'Rourke. He is in Mississippi tonight. He says he wants to show support for the immigrant community there, given the headlines that came out uh, after the ICE raids. And, and that's something that you're probably going to see more of in this new reset, the, the, the new strategy of his, not just to focus on those early voting states, Iowa, New Hampshire, et cetera, but rather he says he wants to focus on the communities that have been made vulnerable by President Trump. Jake? All right, Leila Santiago uh, in El Paso. Thanks so much. Let's bring our experts back. And Kirsten, let me start on that note. Uh, Listen to Beto O'Rourke describing his new 2020 strategy. 
Uh, we're going to go to every community that has been terrorized by Donald Trump. We're going to lift everyone up that he has sought to put down. Kirsten, what do you think? Uh, well, I think that obviously his campaign has been struggling and he does need to find a new tack. And I think this is one that fits really well with him. It's He, he is somebody who has spoken out before um, with, you know, about moral issues that face the country. And it's where he's gotten a lot of uh, attention. And so I think it's probably a smart choice for him to take this tack. Mayor Gillum is the other uh, left leaning panelist. Uh, what, what do you make of it? I mean, you could argue just on a on a, cr- on a crude level you know, the Mississippi primary is not really important, even if those ice raids were. Yeah, I mean, but 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 elections can be sometimes about contrast. Uh, and I really do believe, having observed um, Congressman uh, O'Rourke these past couple of, of, of days as he's leaned into his community during a very, very difficult time, I get the sense that he's found uh, greater clarity and, quite frank, uh, more purpose around his run for the White House. I think uh, if this is going to be a race about contrast, uh, comparing how he's dealt with this in such a, uh, I think, respectable manner uh, to that of Donald Trump, um, there's no contest at all. I think Beto runs uh, circles around him. Congresswoman Love, uh, Beto says he's not going to consider a Senate run. He doesn't think it would be good enough for his community. Um, what do you make of that? Well, the only thing I can make of this is just to give as many people as much advice as possible for independents, for Republicans that are looking for somebody else. They cannot continue on the path of promising everything to everyone when we've got twenty two trillion dollars of debt. They have to be honest, intellectually honest with the American people and say, how are you going to pay for all of this? As I see all of these Democrat debates over and over again, that's the question that I keep hearing people say, how do you pay for all of this? So I would hope that instead of just contrasting with the president, that you actually have solutions that can be paid for. And Kevin Madden, uh, on the other hand, Chuck Schumer, uh, the head Democrat in the Senate, got some good news with Governor Hickenlooper dropping out of the presidential race, maybe uh, running for Senate where they think they can possibly uh, pick up a Senate seat. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that he, uh, about uh, Hickenlooper is he was a he was a much needed uh, centrist voice in a party that has seemed to have a big lurch towards the left. And with a statewide profile, with that statewide um, uh, reputation as a centrist and an executive already well known by the voters of Colorado, he stands a much better chance. All right. Thanks, one and all. A key issue for House Democrats, possibly threatening some of them in next year's election. That's next. In our politics lead now, a majority of House Democrats have now called for an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Last night, Congresswoman Deb Holland of New Mexico added her name to the list, making the new total 122, which is 52 percent of the House Democratic caucus. But members of Congress are not amidst their colleagues right now. They're back home in their congressional districts where... Support for impeachment may not be as popular. And as CNN's Manu Raju reports, that's particularly the case in districts that went for President Trump in 2016. To a growing number of House Democrats, there's no question that President Trump must be impeached for breaking the law. But here in the Republican-leaning suburbs of Detroit, a major battleground in the 2020 presidential race and for control of the House... The question is much more complicated. Why not uh, impeach if he's... uh, You know, I have mixed reviews on that from people in my district. Congresswoman Haley Stevens, a freshman Democrat, is navigating a fine line. 
in this bellwether district that's been dominated by the GOP for over a decade. She's projecting an image as a bipartisan pragmatist, accessible to her constituents. Well, I'm not going to let you down. Pushing on issues like education reform, manufacturing, and protecting the Affordable Care Act. The sabotage agenda is showing that it will not stop. But your member of Congress is not stopping either. But she soon may have to pick sides in a debate raging in Washington, whether to impeach the president. And no matter what she does, voters in this closely divided district are bound to be angry. If she were to vote to impeach the president, how would you feel about that? I would not be happy about that. And neither would a lot of my friends. Do you think that the president should be impeached? I don't know what they want to do with him, but yeah. I think they should get him out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, I know, but he's yeah. an there egotistical maniac, mm-hmm. and I don't really care for the man. Stevens prefers to wait until there's a conclusion to the court fights between House Democrats and the Trump administration. But I don't want to be in a rush to fail. Some of this, Manu, is so deeply personal. It really is. I'm spending time with my church, Mm. my family, evaluating the documents, and I'm holding tight here. The predicament helps explain why House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has so far resisted calls to move forward on impeachment. Pelosi is eager to defend the 31 seats won by Democrats like Stevens in districts that Trump carried in 2016. And is fearful that a misstep by House Democrats could cost their party the majority and help re-elect Trump. The divide is especially stark among the Michigan congressional delegation, where a Republican left his party after calling for impeachment proceedings. One freshman Democrat and outspoken leader of the charge, and other Democrats in neighboring districts uncertain about pressing ahead. I'm somebody who's conflicted myself about impeachment. I think we got to be very careful in our approach. Many of my folks here actually elected me because I was very strong, even during the campaign, that this president needs to be held accountable to the United States Constitution. But Jake, even though voters are decidedly split about moving forward on impeachment, some told me that it won't make one difference at all how Haley Stevens would ultimately vote because views are just so dug in against President Trump. So some of these more moderate members, Jake, may have more freedom if the speaker decides to go down this route. Jake. All right, Manu Raju, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Why Russia's silence about a nuclear explosion is causing concern from weapons experts. Stay with us. We have some breaking news for you in our sports lead. Incredible images coming in from Tennessee right now where NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt Jr. and his wife both just survived a plane crash. Thankfully, this happened when the pilot was trying to land. They crashed. The plane caught fire. You'll remember Earnhardt's father died in a horrific uh, car crash at the Daytona 500 in 2001. The FAA is now investigating today's crash. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper or tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. 
Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.